0: Welcome to Empowered Returns, a show that surfaces forward-thinking real estate advice that investors and developers need to help them invest smarter and build better. Welcome to another episode of Empowered Returns, and I'm here with P.T. Weinberg, as always. How are you, P.T.? Doing well, Mike. How are you? Awesome. And we're here with Pat Callahan, president of Callahan Construction. We're really excited and fired up to talk with you, Pat, about all things construction and the how we're building, especially multifamily, but all the, all the different construction you're into. So welcome That's to great. the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah. So maybe you just want to jump in to, to dive right in and talk a little about Callahan. Obviously, uh, as a family business, you've been around for quite a while. But I want to just give us a little bit of the background on on, on who Callahan is, what type of work you guys do.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a family business. It's been around for about sixty eight years. Um, we're one of the larger open shop GCs in the Northeast. Our backlog last year was around six hundred million. And um, you know, I'd say we're a diverse company where we do a lot of multifamily, senior housing, affordable housing. Life science, uh, corporate office, retail, hospitality. So, we've got a diverse customer base and a diverse uh, product type, as well as we're diverse in construction type. So, um, you know, I think one thing that we do a little bit differently is we emphasize on pre construction services. Hmm. A lot of our GCs are kind of, you know, more of a commodity, low bid type general contractor. We shy away from that and we focus on providing value uh, through pre con services and so forth.
0: Nice. Maybe let's dive into that for a moment. How do you, you know, when you first um, come across either a project or a potential client, how do you, how do you like to engage with them in terms of pre-construction services, and how you're, how you're expressing your, your value in terms of where you can, you know, where you can really deliver and, and, and make an impact on the project overall? Yeah, I think for Callahan,
1: we have we call it enhanced pre-con services. We have a lot of internal um, staff between architects, engineers, logistics, uh, MEP. Uh, QC um, uh, and so forth that really kind of enhanced the precon. So you're almost getting a peer review of what's being designed. So I think, you know, we try to get in with our customers as early as possible mm-hmm. because if the plans progress too long, um, too far ahead, you know, into more of a DD level or whatever it might be, it, it's too hard to go back in a lot of cases to, to take out some of the costs that, that might have been missed mm-hmm. or, or could have come out, yeah. you know what I mean? So we encourage them to start early. Uh, with a lot of the groups we work with, where we've done a lot of deals together, we're in there almost the same time, or if not before the design team, mm. you know, providing information, uh, what that site might cost, things like that, so yeah. they can make a business decision.
0: I can I can only imagine the um, the level of value you guys are, are, are oftentimes able to add. I mean, just just seeing the projects that we're working on and, and sort of. We talk about this with a lot of clients So just assembling the whole team as early as possible usually makes everything go so much smoother because everyone has their own input and their own advice and their own expertise that they can bring to the table and help, you know, de- you know, de-risk a project to reduce costs to help build a better product. And in the end of the day, you know, for us, it's mostly multifamily and condo residential side. So, yeah. you know, helping design something that hits the market. But from from your perspective as well, it's just like really managing an effective build process, build timeline, and, and and cost structure, I can imagine. I'm sure there's other things too.
1: I mean, I we have some customers that bring us on from day one. We've got others that bring us on at the end of DD, early CD. And most of the equity players, most of the larger national players, I should say, they bring us on really early because mm. they know the value that is brought that and through that early stages. Mm. And, the, and, and I think some of the groups that are bringing us on so late, they feel like they're getting more of a competitive pricing from the GC, which is what maybe a point or two in regards to fee at the most. Mm. But you pick up so many points on the early pre-con yeah. between value, you know, between a better way to build, you know, taking the costs out of the site, whether it be cut and fill, utilities, earth support, ground improvements, the building, you know, taking a well thought out schedule and logistics and shaving time off, you know, you know, which saves GC So... You're missing all that upfront work that can take place that will save you hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and you're worried about fifty grand a couple of points on yeah, the right. fee yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then they think, oh, well, if I do it too early, I, you know, I don't know if my number is going to be right. But it, any GC can take their number down at whatever level of plans to make their pricing look sexy. Mm. And then it all comes back in when you get to GMP. So there's no magic to that. The magic is where you save all the money up front yeah. and try to figure out, you know, build a better mousetrap.
2: I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time, like getting in early, getting the right team, being prepared. And then to your point, it's like stuff kind of costs what it costs, right? And it's it, it, it's all about the planning to eliminate unnecessary costs. And that's what gets missed if you don't right. do that early. And, and what percentage of the clients that you're working with, you know, or that you see kind of on a macro level in the marketplace are bringing in, whether it's you guys or, you know, other people, you know, or bringing their general contractors in in early DD and schematic versus, you know, to your point, sort of waiting till they're getting on the precipice of CDs and then bidding it out, just trying to, you know, save that. You yeah. that, that nominal amount of money when it's really about the big picture.
1: I would say it's 50-50. I would okay. say 50% of them bring us on before DD, and that's where you're getting your value. And, you know, the other 50 comes on at all different other stages. It could be at the end of DD, through DD, the end of DD, or even into early CD. And the other thing is, I you know, is the fear that they're paying money for pre-con services. I mean, Callahan carries the pre-con services yeah. to GMP. And it's the, there's a value put there in case there's some type of separation, right, at the end of the day. But, that, again, that half a point or one point of pre-con services gets far outweighed by what you save through good pre-con. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I think this is myth that is like, okay, I have to bring a contractor construction set so that they can give me accurate, real pricing, and I can really they can really fine-tune their numbers. But I, I think, to your point, that's such a myth when you can get in you know in the entitlement phase and before design even you know well before design development through the early design phases and 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 you can add that kind of sort of eye and vision of how this project is going to go, how the schedule is going to lay out, how we can, you know, build a better plan right. f- to, to deliver way more value than it's going to cost someone to invest uh, in those early phases in a, in, a, in, a, in a construction sort of expertise like you guys bring to the table.
1: I think debt and equity likes it too. At the end of the day, if they know you've got a well thought out plan with a solid GC and a solid design team, I think they look at it as this lower risk, right? At the end of the day versus coming in at a bid scenario when you're at the CD, no one's they haven't dove in yeah. like you would have, you know, doing months and months of pre-con, you know. Yeah. 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 I
0: mean, I think just like just like you guys, we have clientele and developer clientele that sort of ranges from all sorts of experience levels. So from the very, you know, maybe the very first project all the way to to you guys, you know, to us and to you guys working on people who are national, big national institutional developers who have been through the experience. And I think you're right. Like The people who have been through it before sort of have a better recognition that bringing on expertise early actually, although there's a cost there, it saves you money and and delivers a better return at the end of the day. So that's the one thing that we constantly are trying to tell sort of new and upcoming and, um, you know, less experienced developers, hey, like assemble that team early. So it's good advice. Yeah. So, I mean, look, obviously so much of what we're talking about,
2: right, the word cost has probably already come up like multiple times, right? Like. People just right now, especially the past through the past few years and through COVID, right? It's a construction cost, construction costs, construction costs, and then clearly when you're talking about all these projects, right? The the biggest numbers, the construction. Yeah. So c- talk a little bit about kind of the climate of the industry right now in Greater Boston, and you know, kind of what are you seeing as far as subs, materials, and you know, there's been so much chatter for you know an extended period of time about construction costs. Like where where is the market currently?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, from pre-COVID to the, the height, you know, you saw costs, you know, some some materials, you know, up 50%, 30%, you know, when you look at the overall where some things didn't move, you know, I would say from the beginning of COVID to the height of COVID, you know, the height of the market, you know, they're up 15, 20%. I mean, it's a big number and that's the entire scope of the work. Right. It's starting to work its way down I mean I all the signs are there <clears throat> you know we're getting much more sub coverage as we're getting to a GMP now you know pre, be, you know in the height of the market you get 120 bids or whatever it might be it'll be getting 200 250 bids now so you're seeing theres more participation more in you know more sub participation and material to participation in regards to bid. You know, we're starting to see the numbers move a little bit. And I, if I made it to make a guess, I would say by the end of this year, we're not seeing it yet, but I think it's coming where subs are going to start, unless something changes, right? Now, the subs are going to see that they're just burning way too much off. I would think you'd probably be 5% or so off of where we are today. So say say January 1st of 23 to January 1st of 24, I would think those numbers would come down about 5%. You know, again, unless something changes. But you know, if you, th- I always look at it this way: we had our best year ever in 23, and we're going to be off 25 percent volume-wise in 20. I'm sorry, 22 in 22, we had our best year ever, and 23 will be off about 25 percent volume-wise. But it will still be our second best year yeah. ever in sales, right? Without picking up another job. Wow. So, you know, don't get me wrong, if we don't pick anything up on t- in 23 at all, 24 will be a lot lighter. And I think, you know, other GCs have that same scenario, right? And the subs would have that exact same yeah. scenario. So they're burning it off you know, quicker than they're putting it on, but it's not at panic mode yet. And I think that panic mode starts to come to the tail end of the year. If same thing, there's not a lot of work going on, that they need to fill the machine and feed the machine and they'll start to, you know, drop those numbers. You start to see commodities come down more. You'll Start to see uh, how a sub looks at it, come down more, and you might even start to see some labor move at that point.
2: Mm, yeah. So I feel like a lot of people have been through it on like these micro levels, whether they've done renovations or small, you know. And then there's guys who are doing smaller developments, and and as a, you know, as one of the, as you said, one of the largest kind of open shop um, contractors, you know, in the region, right? Like, what is your typical <laughs> sub stable? look like, right? Like how many real options do you have for all the big trades on, you know, a hundred unit job or a 150 unit job? Like, you know, what does that landscape look like?
1: I mean, a lot of our jobs are end up being a mixed bag, being a mixed bag with union and open shop subcontractors. Um, and, you know, it depends on the product type. You know, wood frame resi is a different sub base than right. life science, right? right, at the end of the day. So, you, you know, between those different groups, I, and if, you know, if you were to take 100% open shop sub base, I would say there's probably 150 solid, you know, key subs that you would feel comfortable with working with all day. You know, and that's per per trade. trade. No, no. uh, Total. Total. Okay. All right. Now, then you have probably another 50 or so. I mean, we've got thousands of subs. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Maybe another 50 to a couple hundred of the smaller ones that can fit in there that you don't have to have this big, huge sub to do that scope of the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you mix in the union subs. It even makes it that much stronger. You know, 80% of the workforce is open shop. Right. You know, it's only 20% in this market that's union. So your biggest sub base is on the open shop side. A lot of people think it's the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say on the resi, you have, I would say the, the, the ratios are the same on the different product type. Okay. It gets a little thinner uh, on hospitality. You know, a lot of those are subs that are th- across the country and so forth that come in for certain tasks and so forth. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I would say, you know, we, we the one thing about the Northeast, there are, there's a strong sub base in the Northeast.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and speaking of sort of open shop or union discussion, you guys have already maintained status as an open shop um, business. And, it, you know, is that is that principally full of flexibility you can bring to jobs in both directions and or the larger sub base? Or what's the kind of the impetus or the strategy there?
1: I mean... I would say most of our jobs are a mixed bag, so we do utilize a lot of uh, union subcontractors on our projects, but our philosophy to that is bring the ones in that bring value, right? And we work a lot with the building trades. You know, Union GC has, to, that signature with the carpenters, has to bring in all the carpentry trades, but he was most likely is doing uh, a mixed bag with all the building trades. Mm-hmm. So my mixed bag is just a little bit different than their mm-hmm. mixed bag, you know what I mean, at the end of the day. Um, but our philosophy to it is we work for the developer. We don't work for the carpenters' union. We don't have a signature status that I need to do what that organization tells me what to do. Mm. I work for the developer and, uh, he's the one that's hiring me and paying me and I will advise him, uh, what I think makes, well, what we think makes sense for the area, the type of product type and what unions would make sense for a particular opportunity. And we try to massage those relationships with typically the building trades uh, to try to bring them on as part of the project. But you know, and and I would say again, 90% of the jobs out there is a mixed bag of union and open shop. But everybody knows they need to work in harmony. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and frankly, you could have a 100% union project that gets picketed. Mm -hmm. It's a labor dispute or whatever it might be. So there's no perfect answer. But um, yeah, we just do it a little bit different, and you know, we're more in the suburbs where it ends up being more of a mixed bag and not yeah. an all union job. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. And and um, what is the you know the proportions of your jobs? You mentioned the you know everything from life science to hospitality to residential. What kind of is the breakdown in your yep. in your business?
1: So in '22, it was 40% life science, 40% multifamily and the other 20 was made up of some retail. You know, retail Mm -hmm. has softened. It's coming back a little bit, but it's softened. The hospitality market dropped off once COVID hit. Yeah, it was 40, 40, 20 and other oddity, you know, we do a lot of TI and everything too. So it fell in that 20%. You know, right now I see 23 probably being more multi, including Mm -hmm. affordable. You know, we're doing a lot of affordable Mm -hmm. and it's got a little bit of a a recession proof, uh, you know, with tax credits and everything. of course. Um, so I would suspect our multifamily will probably go up a little bit to yeah. maybe you know sixty, and mm-hmm. the, the other forty will be a little more life science and and, and the other thing, and yeah. the other product type, but. Um, yeah, I, I, life sciences, we, we enjoy being in that market. It's a solid market. We see that mm. coming back, you know what
0: yeah. I mean? Yeah, do, do you see it coming So Obviously, it was a boom times town, Boom times for a while, but, but, yeah, but that sort of has faded a little bit in, uh, yeah, no doubt. in status.
1: I think it's got to you look at this environment, in this region that you would think it's going to. You know, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball like a lot of these developers and, and see they it all better think they than deal. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys, and girls. <laughs> um, but, the people we talk to anyway that are developers that, uh, they feel that it's going to come back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. And and I think, um, you guys had a conversation earlier that was was talking about there, how you focus even on the residential side, more on the apartment multifamily side versus the condo side. Is that correct? And is there sort of a strategy there that is important to you guys?
1: I mean, there's definitely been much more multifamily than condo, but, um, I mean, condo, I think everybody knows there's a tail to it, right. And there's a lot more litigation Mm -hmm. and, um, if we had a pick, we would pick multifamily, rental mm-hmm. multifamily over mm-hmm. condo just to not have to deal with that. And, you know, it, when as the developers building this building and as we're building the condo building, we're building a per plan, inspect to code, you're getting all your inspections and approvals and COs. So it's not like you're doing anything wrong. It's just that over time, these buildings will shrink, they'll move, you'll get a drywall crack, you have your, your window seals, you know, dry and you know, more air comes in, but it's it's maintenance to these buildings yeah. that nobody wants to do.
0: Right, right.
2: And, and it's a long window, too. It's yeah. a long ex- window of exposure. And I mean, it's just...
1: Yeah, and then, I, you know, they, they typically will get some type of a ambulance chase the type condo attorney right to make this big list of issues and you know I, then they're coming after you
0: i think you the know? big the big the big challenge is that you've got essentially you know let's just call it 100 150 in a building you've got you know 100 different owners in sure. there now versus one owner as a multi-family mm-hmm. one operator and usually the multi-family owner operators actually has a lot of experience and building knows what you know goes on with buildings and new construction and these things the changes that buildings go through and you know, even if everything is perfectly built, it doesn't mean it's a perfect building all the right. time going forward. But individual condo owners coming in, you know, don't usually understand that. And it's a it's a big, heavy education yeah. process. Yeah. And, 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 and there's and this
2: expectation that because it's brand new, it's going to be perfect. And, like, that doesn't exist, right? right like, we right. all have onboarded a lot of brand new buildings. Yeah. And it's just an inevitability that there's going to be some issues. Even, like to your point, like super common, normal, natural issues like right. cracks and you know, settling or whatever it may be. So, what is there like, you know, on condo projects as far as or how do you approach it potentially a little bit differently yeah. with you know advice you may be giving your developer client? You know, during you know obviously you like you said you built a code, you built to spec, all of that. But do you juice some of that stuff up when you know it's a condo? Like what? What's right. your experience been in that space and kind of how would you approach it a little bit differently potentially?
1: Our, to be honest with you, our fee structures are typically a little bit higher known. We're probably going to get into litigation at some point. Our softs are typically a little bit higher known than that that's going to happen. We always encourage to beef up the GL insurance. We typically would do a standalone GL policy there. Um, But then, you know, your windows are typically beefed up, your sound, you know, your floor to floor and your wall to wall is typically beefed up. We encourage an owner to do a structural steel building versus a wood building because you just don't have the shrinkage with wood, I mean with steel, you know know what I mean, that you do with wood. And that causes so many problems, that shrinkage between window openings, door openings, that it, you know, becomes a bigger problem a different uh, waterproofing membrane on the exterior. So yeah. you kind of definitely put a lot more belt and suspenders on there, which adds cost, but right. ideally you're making that up in the sale. Yeah. Uh, but even though you do all that, the litigation is still there. Yeah, it really right. is. It's right. just probably a little right. bit less. What, what's
2: but the sort of delta these days? Obviously, the lumber went way up and now it's normalized a bit, but... You know, it used to be three, four years ago when you were having these conversations, it was like a massive spread between going steel and concrete. And I'm talking a, a normal, we'll call it a typical greater Boston yep. five, six-story building, right? And it would be, it would have been unheard of for anyone to do, you know, just from a cost standpoint to do steel and concrete, everyone would do a podium stick, yep. right? So what is the sort of spread these days from a, you know, dollar per foot standpoint on a build, on a six-story building going all structural steel versus you know, a 4 over 2 or a 5 over 1?
1: I would say just on the residential units, you'd probably a 15 to 20% premium. Okay. So, I mean, I, you know, if you're doing a steel podium, obviously there's no, there's no. I would take that cost out right. and then focus just on the residential units because yeah. there's other factors that go into it versus just the wood versus structural steel. And you can do low bearing light gauge, which is a little bit less yeah. than yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, wood is the least expensive approach. That's why you typically see the multi-family apartments wood. You right. Know what I mean, um, but some of the higher-end condos that we've done that could have been wood, we've done steel or do, mm. done low bearing light age.
0: Yeah. Know. And have you guys explored any of this in our new, um, yeah, new like cross-laminated timber and things like that coming coming down the pike? Here,
1: we've seen it. We've priced it. Uh, it's just, it just hasn't quite. Gotten here yet. Mm. You know what I mean? There's, and I think a lot of it ends up being the sub base that could do it as well, right. right? There's just not a sub base that you could go out to five subs and say, you know, give me a competitive price to it. And it's similar to what's happened with the low bearing like age. It's, it's a really nice alternative. But if you only have one or two subs that are willing to do it, it puts you in a corner that, okay, if that sub can't do it, I can only go to this one sub. I'm putting a lot of eggs in one mm. basket. I, I, and if there's a failure or an issue, it puts the job in a whole tailspin, you know what yeah. I mean? So, but I think that's getting better. And, you know, there's been more projects that have been more of the low bearing light gauge. Yeah. Um, but even modular, I think modular is a great next step, mm. right? And then it's been around for a long time, <laughs> but it just can't seem to get traction. Yeah. You know I and mean?
2: we, we've done one, and that was yeah. in 2016. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now you're talking seven years ago. And, you know, like we've, I know, we've really, Grown exponentially during that time, where we've had so many more projects that we haven't seen it again.
0: Yeah, which is kind
2: of interesting. I think the fear
1: is you have to bring that modular company on so early, right? Yeah, and you have to put a lot of money up front very early with a group that, you know, I'm not saying that they're not stable, but it's not the typical, it's not the norm. So you're putting again a lot of eggs in one basket. And then I think you're you're limited to you know the layout of the building and some other features. You know what I mean? And they're not perfect either. Some of the boxes that have gone together, there's been some horror stories of some of the boxes not. Um, Coming together the right way and having some other problems, you know. Yeah, it's I
0: mean? it's one of those things where in theory it makes a whole lot of sense. You have a controlled building environment, all yeah. these other things, except you know you still have the skilled labor, yeah. the planning, yeah. the you know the whatever the plans coming together. There's yeah, so all, many, all these yeah. things. So and similar with like CLT or things like that, where you know these things look promising in a lot of ways, and I'm I'm personally excited to see some of these things come up, but. It's so new that you're right. You just are totally limiting whether it's the subpool or just lack of experience with it from all perspectives. That you're, you know, there is just there ha- by definition. a little bit more risk there. I think you limited
1: the unit count too. I mean, you never see like 200 units. Right. You might see 80 units. You know, right. 60, 100 maybe because they, the production you have to have so many yep. of them built. Right. Right that you just don't, you can't get that production at some point.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember seeing some of these buildings and going up in China, these time lapses that go up in like three weeks. And I'm like, I don't even have any idea how that happened or if it was just a fake video, but I don't know if you've ever seen these things. And I'm like, some of this technology is wild, but it's just like... Don't they follow it right Yeah, exactly. exactly." (laughs) (laughs) It's
2: actually
0: Legos. Right. right. (laughs)
2: Um, So you kind of said, you know, earlier, right, part of your secret sauce is really... The, the value you bring during pre-con, and, and clearly it's it's evident in, in the course of this conversation, right? You've been around a long time, very knowledgeable. Not that you're old. Okay. Yeah, I am, no. <laughs> um, but uh, what are some of, like, the most common mistakes that you see, particularly, like, younger developers making or inexperienced developers making, you know, somewhat frequently just doesn't resonate, and you just see over and over again kind of the same thing from a, you know, a mistake standpoint?
1: You know, we do so much with a lot of customers, repeat customers. You know, when someone asks us to look at something real early on, don't get, we, don't get me wrong, we make mistakes too, but we try to do the best of giving that developer a true estimate, like what we think it's going to take to take it from ground zero to be incomplete. So there's a lot of gaps and holes, especially, especially when it's schematic, right, that you need to fill from past experience, you know, maybe taking a deeper dive, or whatever. And that when we're, when we're competing against some other GCs that don't do that or you know they don't know the product type, there can be a huge swing in the numbers. At the end of the day, once you get to, to GMP and to your CDs, for the most part, we're using probably 90% of the same subs. And it's not like there's a magic sauce when a guy's $5 million or $10 million less at a schematic level. And like, wow, this guy really wants it. You know what I mean? It's it's just not there. Right, it's, right, right. it's hocus pocus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the proof comes out in the pudding. And I think if you really, what's the difference? If you put the cost of the work aside, don't get me wrong, you're going to be competitive in the cost of the work with the trades, which is 80% of the work. And then it's about your general conditions, which was tied to duration and your staff. You have the right staff. They're managing quality, managing safety, all that type stuff. It's your soft cost, your insurance. If you have you know SDI or bonding and your fee. And if, I, you know, obviously you should be looking at that stuff, and we probably do staff our jobs a little bit more than maybe a smaller GC, but you get what you pay for. You know what I mean at the end of the day? It's not like we're putting a guy on there just because we can. We want to put a guy on the job. He's managing the facade or he's managing the, the amenity space or whatever it might be, you know, for better quality. So I think that, that the mistake is they think they're getting this big win early on, which screws up their performer once they get up into the you know the CD level, mm. when the numbers really start to come true. That $5 million savings doesn't ever ring true when they get up to that
2: GMP time. No. You know what I mean? Like you said, one so change they, order would be half a million bucks. Yeah. They're, not,
1: they're not even getting to the change order. The number went up be <laughs> yeah, through that, that process, yeah. Yeah, $5 yeah, million yeah, right, bucks. and right, so now right. they're at a GMP that yeah. would have been about the same where we were. So yeah. I think that's where we see a lot of folks just don't get it, you know what I mean? And they think they're getting some big win, Mm -hmm. and it's just really not there. And for us, you know, if we did that, they'd be looking at us, you know better, you know what I mean? You should have known that, you should have known that, whatever, and we'd lose a a customer, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? We'd rather lose the customer early on by doing the right thing than lose the customer six months from now once we get to CDs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then hopefully you come back around another time. And I mean, I think, win that's, customer. I think that's yeah.
0: oftentimes what, what we've seen. And I'm sure you've seen it, too, is just customers come back around. They're like, oh, shit, I screwed up here. I should have went with you guys in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, right, this yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it ends up costing them more than it would have otherwise. And, and, and so but uh, but I, so I think that's a valid point. How do you guys, speaking of of that, how how do you think about going in when, uh, you know, a a potential client, especially in the case of like a new client, not a repeat client, comes to you and wants to price a job? How how do you guys approach it to understand you make, you know, you're clear on what their objective and vision for the project is and so that you're pricing it, you know, properly and effectively?
1: Yeah, so we will always do a first estimate or two, you know, it's on our dime. Um, really, to create the relationship, so they can see how we operate, how we put numbers together, all that good stuff. When it's schematic, he may be, they may be thinking one thing, we're thinking something else. We both have cabinets, right? But he may be thinking a twenty-five hundred dollar <laughs> package, and I might be thinking five. So I think once once we get that preliminary estimate together, we will, and it's very detailed. We will show you all the holes we've filled. That's just not in the plans mm-hmm. yet. You know what I mean? So we'll typically go through that to make sure we're on the same page. Because that's the other thing. As you go further down the process, and we're, if we're not aligned, there's just problems that come out of that as well, right, at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So we do we agree here? Do we agree there? Whatever. Mm-hmm. We tune up that estimate. We typically we call that like a target GMP estimate. And then we track that. So as the plans progress and, you know, the design changes which is hey listen you do what you want to do but that's going to be 100 more grand for the project 10 grand a unit whatever the thing is right and you know they do it don't do it or maybe we take ve somewhere else to get something else back in line so it's a real fluid process but I think the most important thing is going through that early estimate and making sure it jives because yep. that's going to give them the test if it is the deal going to pencil at the end of the right. day. You
0: know? Yeah. On a similar vein, I would say, how do you guys think about, you know, a realistic construction timeline and how a, how do you, how do you, you know, set that up and then execute it for success?
1: Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's the same thing when we bid something that, you know, it's very far along, it's hard to really understand the process, the logistics, all the site exposure and all that stuff. That's why the earlier on process, we typically can make sure we have the right duration in there for building demo abatement, utility disconnect, earth support, ground improvements, all those things that need to go in. And if you're doing if you're bidding a job and you have you've got a month to do that, it's almost impossible to figure all that stuff out. Unless it's a slab on grade in a field, you know, mm. a building that's on virgin <laughs> ground. But most of the deals nowadays, they're urban. You know what I mean, yeah. and they're in a tight location. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's we do our best to capture it all. And same thing when we're competing against some folks that, you know, just will say that job took me eighteen months in a similar unit count, and they don't look at the the logistics mm. side of it, and they say that's going to be eighteen months, and then it's twenty-four. You know what I mean? That's it's way big to lose. Yeah. It's a big swing. Yeah, yeah no doubt. So it's time for all that, especially a complicated site. Same thing, I can't emphasize it enough because there's a lot of things you need to do on a, a complicated site with local officials, all mm-hmm. that stuff. What they're going to allow, what they're not going to allow. Um, so yeah, I would encourage mm-hmm. you know bringing, an, especially <laughs> a complicated site, bringing it in early.
0: And, and how much how much do the various you know local jurisdictions impact kind of timeline and, and certain cases, can they Be you know, is it a pretty tight swing relatively, or, or a pretty wide swing depending on where you're building?
1: I would say maybe in the middle. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I th- every town's different at the end of the day mm. and have different rules and all that type stuff. Um, and sometimes you know, the order of conditions will kind of spell out what you can and can't do and some of the work ta- work rules and all that stuff can be different. Mm. But I would say it's not like night and day. It's, yeah. I would say there's a standard, but from that standard there's kind of outrageous and then there's some <laughs> that are, this is a great town to work in. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. All right. Interesting. And so as you're executing on the project, I think what, what oftentimes that we've seen, at least from our perspective, being non-builders, is, you know, you, you see a lot of um, unrealistic expectations being put on when buildings are, when, when a project is going to get completed versus the, you know, the timeline from the beginning and things shift and change. How do you try to um, clarify expectations throughout a project as, as a timeline might expand or shrink in some cases? And, and how do you kind of go about that uh, just throughout the project? Transparency,
1: really. I, you know, all the GMPs we do are 100% transparent. It's the same with the budget. Same with the schedule. You know, we try to inform them when there's an issue. I would say a lot of the delays nowadays. You know, we're not perfect, and we we have issues too. But a lot of them are coming to, with utility delays. Yeah, and, wow, and it's brutal. even you know beyond even even our delays and the utility delays are going beyond our delays. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the delays. Over the past couple of years, have been lack of labor. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our subs aren't. You know, they don't have the manpower to stay up on schedule, and it just becomes a snowball effect in regards to yeah. missing dates. Um, yeah, I can't wait till we get back to a more normal time of not having so much volume in the market because the labor, even though it's a, there's a good sub base up here. It's, it's tapped out with labor.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole whole another whole sort of can of worms with the labor, you know, question is like, how are we producing enough, you know, kids these days that no, are going to yeah. go into the trades? And we're certainly not, because, you know, you can get me on my soapbox here, but the waste of money that colleges are in a lot mm-hmm. of cases and why way, way more people should be going into trades and, and doing, you know, work that actually matters. Yeah. Um, but that that certainly is a big problem. And do you see, do you, do you guys have any idea or do you have any ideas or solutions for that to drive more labor into the markets that need it?
1: even the, i think the unions do a good job with this we do some of this as well as trying to go to some of the vogue tech schools and trying to encourage them get them on our job sites as like site tours visits maybe do some internal training i know uh, the iron workers and so but they do a lot of training with some of the vogue tech schools i think more to create excitement of, yeah. in, in educating them you know the wages you can be mm-hmm. making if you go into this trade you know what i mean i think uh, a lot of groups are trying to do more and more of that to try to mm. suck in some of the younger generation to more the you know the building trades you know what I mean yeah it's i i think that still has that stigma you know if you're working in the field you you know you're a second-class citizen mm. if you will which you're not but I think uh you know I think the parents all want your kids to go away to get a good education you know what I mean and I, you can still do that right maybe yeah. you, you come out you're in a trade for a bit and then you're not you, then you you Run your own company. Yeah, you know talent, I
2: mean? where where are you guys able to pull most of your <clears throat> most of your talent from?
1: Um, like our staff. Yeah, it is. It's a little challenging, you know. Um, we have an office in Bridgewater, so sometimes it's tough for us to get staff that's north of Boston wanting to come south of Boston. Yeah. So a lot of right now, it's I would say Rhode Island. You know, all of the South Shore. Um, you know, some people from the north. Not everybody needs to be in our office, so right. they'll go to the specific job sites. I would say mainly Mass in Rhode Island and New York. It's New Jersey, Southern Connecticut, you know, Westchester area, basically.
2: Yeah. Are you seeing enough kind of kids coming out of schools like, you know, I mean, Wentworth's one that people yeah. think uh, of a lot thing. on the, on the you know, that enters the construction trade?
1: We just have programs sort of, with a lot of them. They try yeah. to get the interns in, right? Yeah. We, we take them in for the summer, right? You try to teach them as much as we can. Ideally, you want to get them while they're a freshman, so... You get them while they're a senior, most likely they've probably already got a deal with another GC, right? So we try to get them in early on, work them all the way through for their four summers, and then have them come work for our company okay. as they get to their senior year, you know? Nice.
0: What, what, other, um, what other challenges do you guys, or do you see in the industry right now? <laughs> you know, obviously labor, we talked about utilities being a major roadblock, which you saw that as well. But any other sort of, sort of construct challenges in the construction industry, whether it's just running the business itself or sort of working on projects?
1: I would say um, lead time and materials. Mm. So it's another thing on the pre-con side. You know we know what some of the long leads are. It's gotten much better, but at least if you're in pre-con, you you can pre-purchase some of those real long lead time materials, so it's mm. not bite you in the back end when you need it. So that's still a problem. I would say six months ago um, would have subs that wouldn't hold their prices for the duration of the job. So mm. you're buying a drywaller. He'll give you a ballpark number of what his number would be and it would hold it for X amount of months. Mm-hmm. And then you'd almost have to renegotiate. So you tr- you're not truly getting a GMP or a lump sum price from him. That's kind of gone away. That's, so that's one thing that's you know pretty much all the subs that we're buying right now, we buy them for the duration of the project and we lock them down. Um, yeah, it's, it's getting better. It was a lot worse basically six months a year ago in yeah. regards to managing the sub base. Mm-hmm. I think on the other thing with the subs, not just Callahan labor, the, the quality of the labor and the quantity of the labor of the sub base has been thin. Mm. So it ends up putting more strain on the design team, on the contractor to oversee the quality. You know, So we almost have a super in place, an assistant super managing the facade. So. We're watching them put up the facade, so they're not making a waterproofing mistake or whatever it might be. Putting the windows in, you know, we're overseeing the rough MEPs, you know, so to make sure before something gets covered up, you know, you don't have a, a leak in a pipe or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. You know what I mean? So. That's been the struggle over the last few years. Is really the the lack of sub labor and then the quality of that sub labor. You're yeah. almost managing them, them yourself. Yeah. You know, at the, end yeah. Of the
0: end. How how can you you know or what do you guys do as the GC to ensure that you know the sub is bringing quality labor? I mean, you know, I guess it's just the oversight, like you just mentioned, primarily. But is there anything else you can do, or is there anything you do sort of um, in advance to make sure the subs bring in their their A game, so to speak?
1: Relationship, yeah. it really is. It's, I mean you know, you try to leverage uh, your business partner that you know, you're jumping into bed with, uh, whatever sub it is right at the end of the day, that, you know, this is an important project for Callahan, which is an important project for the customer and try to re- leverage that relationship mm. of giving you A team, you know what yeah. I mean? But, there's not as many
0: Now it's a, it's no. a it's 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 a challenge and I, I will continue to beat the drum of, you know, trying to encourage more and more people to to, you know, instead of this you know dream of going to college and ended up with a you know thirty five thousand dollar a year job, you know, sitting at a desk all day to like really take a hard look at the trade. With a couple hundred grand in debt. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I, <think> <laughs> I think there's so many entrepreneurial uh, opportunities uh, too within within the trades, yep. you know, and within Design construction. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And in, in in any aspect of it, and you know, and everything from just continuing to the construction, but eventually like investing in the real estate as well, and every in every aspect of it. So, yeah. you know, that's I always that,
2: that's a, that's a probably a good segue. Do you guys kind of get in on any of these deals with with clients? And yep. you
1: know? yeah, I would say mostly local developers. Um, you know, the national developers typically. You know, they less partners the better, right? At the end right. of the day, yeah. And they don't need our cash, so I think on the local side, it's great because we're, a lot of times we're creating relationship there. We're kind of helping them getting over their equity hurdle, um, and you know, I, I I think it does align the contractor and the developer. You know, have the same alignment in regards to the success of the project. Yeah. You know, some some developers, you know, they don't want any partners. It is what it is. You know, mm, so right. um, so we do do that. Um, a lot of it is at the time of closing or GMP but we've got some that we've actually put some money in um, at risk through the permitting and approval process, and we kind of just go para-pursue with that developer. You know, he he gets his developer's fee, we get our contractor's fee, he takes his expertise, and we kind of ride his coattails through the development side, and he kind of rides through our coattails on the construction side, and we manage it together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good way of managing risk, to be honest with you. Yeah in talk about transparency, I mean, all the deals we do is transparent, but it's even a little bit more transparent here where, you know, I see everything he's doing, he sees everything we're doing. It's a true partnership, right? You have the common goal, right? Um, but it's a good way to go too, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, again, I, I think it creates some value in some different ways as well, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. So, and so you mentioned, I think, uh, at least if I heard you correctly, sometimes you're, you're, you're putting up equity early and then other times you're sort of contributing your fee that-
1: no we haven't we've done that before but for 95 percent of the time we're contributing equity Yeah. yeah. You know?
0: okay
1: uh we you know every now and then there's a scenario where we'll discount a fee and it goes in as mm. equity but for the most part it's right in a check
0: yeah cool yeah. nice and, and and what is it that you think you look for when you're on those deals that you're actually participating as a partner contributing equity is there anything specific you look for as a certain industries or areas or developers or
1: I mean, ideally, we like to go in the same as the developers mm-hmm. in at you know what I mean, the same returns and so yep. forth. They're not all like that. Yeah, you want to be something. part of the sponsor. <laughs> yeah, sponsor. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, you know, we're trying to get that developer to the GMP, too. The reason why we're doing it is we're kind of working together to get to the GMP, so we're giving up or whatever it might be. So that's the ideal situation. Um, it, they're not all like that. Um, some of them we just treat as like a limited partner, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, different, kind of different yeah. ones for different deals, you know nice. what I mean? A you know, hundred times a return, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Every, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're all like that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish. Are there any projects that are uh, are especially special for you or that are they memorable for you that you worked on that you were really interesting that we can dive into a little bit?
1: I would say the ones that stand out is um, we just finished one for Red Gate um, called 500 Ocean. Yeah. It was 300 units. I think they did really well on the exit. It was their flagship at the time, mm-hmm. you know, high end units, high in amenity. There was restaurants tied into the building. Mm. It was I think it was two level steel podium, five stick. And it, and the other part of it is, you know, Redgate's Redgate is great to work with. Uh great partner. We've done I think seven or eight, nine deals with them mm-hmm. now. Nice. So we when I mean, you have that and again when you're rolling in the same direction and it's transparent and you know you your partners know that they're not going to screw each other. It's an easy process. You you see all these horror stories of people fighting, the GC fighting and the developer fighting, but they've been great to work with. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We have. (laughs) So that's a good one that we're we're proud of. I would say we did the montage at Assembly Row uh, for Federal Realty. Other good guys, great guys to work with. Um, 20-story tower. Uh, it was like 450 units, I think, 700 and th- some thousand square feet, precast garage, tied into a retail wood podium, you know, wood, wood frame above a podium. So a bunch of different construction types there, yeah. my, kind of complicated things. But I like it, I mean, it's, it's you don't see too many open shop GCs doing high-rise, yeah, you know what right. I mean? So, um, and we see that coming out, you know, maybe this next cycle coming more out to the burbs. Um, so that was... Uh, a good project we just uh, we did a hotel for Claremont which was a 10-story hotel in um in Brookline Mm. uh right on Brookline Ave uh all glass building yeah uh, a nice deal with them. and Claremont's great to work with and then on the life science side um we just finished up the core and shell of Rev Labs with the Greatland guys yeah Yeah. the two Boston property guys that we knew from BP and, and yeah 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 good friends well, a shout
2: out yeah. to you Dorman <laughs> <laughs> You're listening.
1: Um, they're both great guys um, yeah and we kind of took that from start to finish so we did the pre-con we did the corn shell and we're wrapping up all the lab TIs there now so that's awesome. um, cool yeah it was a nice nice deal
0: awesome and and uh, what do you what are you sort of jazzed about moving forward here with Callahan
1: I, I like where we're positioned. You know, I, I don't like a downturn, but I like where we're positioned, you know, we're strong financially, you know, I'm extremely confident we'll get down the, get through the downturn. Um, you know, we're geographically diverse. So we have an office in New York now that, nice. you know, in the next, I think the next upswing, we see that growing mm. quite a bit. And I eventually I'd like to see that balance between that office and this office doing about the same volume. Yeah. I like that we're diversified so, you know, we can move and shake out a different product type, you know, and be diverse if, you know, life science comes back strong, we can slide there. If senior housing comes back strong, we can slide over there where other things might drop off. I mean, similar to the hospitality market, you know, when COVID hit, there was none, right. you know, and a lot of GCs were just doing hospitality, you know, they got chewed up a little bit. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. And then we have a huge you know, customer base, you know, most of our work is repeat business mm. and so much of this business is relationship, you know, who you know, and how you service that customer, being a friend to them, the transparency, being a good business partner. And I think anytime you have that, you know, it's not, it's just easier to do business. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, you don't have to be the low guy uh, to do the deal. It's, you know, there's there's a level of trust there, relationship there, that, that guy that you've got, you friendship you have a friendship with they know they're not going to you're not going to screw them right, right. at the yeah, end right. of the day they feel comfortable that you're always going to be working out in their best interest so i think you know i, I feel we're positioned really well nice cool.
0: and do you guys i mean you talk about sort of the new york office growing the new york office and and whether it's up here do you have um do you guys have like a business development function or something that you're doing to, to generate new business yeah
1: we've got a bd person down there you know it's small we just we just started about three years ago so first thing was to grow the sub base uh, that's intact now. Uh, we're doing actually a $118 million job for Rose down nice, there now. Nice, awesome. Doing a job for LCB, which is a group that does senior up here mm-hmm. that's doing some stuff down there. And we've got two jobs in pre-con down there. Mm-hmm. Just And actually just awarded one for uh, August Housing Authority. Nice, congrats. You nice, know, just, awesome. Just starting to get going. so. Cool. Yeah.
0: That's great. And how, how do you, as you're growing your business, how you grow in the sort of project pipeline, how do, you, how do you manage that from a backlog perspective? How do you think about sort of making sure you're, you're you know, you're not, you're, you're winning deals and growing but not getting over capacity?
1: I mean, that's the good part of doing pre-con. You've got so much time to plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're bidding something, you're going to start the next month. There's no planning there. And then you right. don't have the right teams to do the work. So, I mean, that's the other huge part of getting in early and providing pre-con service so you can put the right teams together. And, and put them, you know, tying, tying the project up for success, you know. But it is hard. I mean, you know, we're constantly rotating people, you know, as we're yeah. finishing a job, when they're we're replacing them onto another job. And it was challenging there, uh, you know, in the last year or so because we we were definitely pushing our limits in regards to volume. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more it's more in check now, you know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah. it's I think every GC, if you weren't busy in the last two years, <laughs> good luck <with> this <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great, and and just uh, you know, as your, your as your backlog builds, as you get to kind of capacity, do you start to look at pricing jobs differently too? Because you're like, we maybe you know don't need it as much or whatever. Is that a factor in your growth?
1: There's no doubt if we if we start to get busy when we're capping out, we politely you know we don't say no to a lot of people because you never know when that customer is sure. coming back around again, right? And so sometimes we politely say no that we just can't do it. Or you can, you know, obviously put a higher fee in there, a higher cost in there. So you're really not in line for it. But, you know, again, so much of our customers, it's relationship. And we'll be straight up with them. If there's a few deals ready to break or going to break six months out or eight months out, I'd say to them, listen, we're struggling for staff right now. Yeah, You know, I have a super, but I don't have a PM. We're out searching, but mm-hmm. that's the problem, you yeah. know. So we're straight up with them, um, with, with our customers. And then. And it's really not a problem now I think you know I think everybody is kind of getting to a point oh, there are there going to be some layoffs and in, in 23 you know what I mean just you yeah. know there's plenty of volume right now but as you're starting to burn through jobs and they're starting to close and if you don't have a place to put that staff you kind of kind of move and shake a little bit right. you know? yeah
0: yeah yeah and and and, and how, how do you I, I'm curious from a business perspective how do you kind of manage that as as you know the the jobs kind of grow and shrink and the timing doesn't quite work out in terms of like sort of managing the human side, the people side of that with whether it's you know layoffs required when, when maybe you want that person back in the future too. I don't know if that's the case often, but you know, is yeah. that possible? And that's when it goes
1: the other way that maybe you take a job at a discount, you know yeah. what I mean, you mean lower fee, whatever, to try to get the job to make sure you're keeping that staff on so you don't yep. lose them. So it, does, it goes both ways a lot of times like that. Um, you try not to do it because some of those can come back and bite you, mm. you know what I mean? But it's, it's better than losing a key player that you know you're going to need down the road, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I would suspect you're going to start seeing that with subs and with GCs in general. Mm. You know, 23 is going to be thin. I think everybody yeah. knows that, you yeah. know, and you're going to have, you know, staff you need to, need to carry, which we do sometimes try to put, you know, two supers on a job yeah. to, to make it run that much better. You know, obviously you, you're losing money on it, but... Uh, and same thing, that's transparent with the customer as well, so he doesn't think we're overloading the job. Yeah. But um, yeah, you try to keep all your good guys. In yeah. The yeah.
0: <laughs> that's look. There's, there's there's a lot of challenges running running any type of business, but I can only imagine running a construction business in the in the moving parts around that with all the you know pro every, everything's a one off project essentially. So yeah. You yeah. know, there's not necessarily recurring, ongoing, recurring revenues like a you know software company or something that right. makes it a lot easier to plan around, right? Right. So. Well, hopefully
1: you do one job with the customer, then you roll in the
0: next one, the next one. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So I- I'm kind of curious, is, is there anything that you think that maybe you guys do or other GCs? We talked maybe a little bit about the pre-con side of things, but in terms of the construction itself, is there anything that you guys look at or really take care to making sure the, the way a project is done that maybe some some of your competitors don't look at it in the same way? I think you know. I think there's
1: a good GC base up here. I think a lot of people know how to execute. Um, I think one thing that we probably do better at is the civil side of things. Mm. You know, we know. I think everybody knows site is the biggest unknown and the biggest risk on any job. And if you can manage that risk better than your competition, sometimes you'll know, have some type of an advantage. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So we do have the capacity to self perform site work. We don't do it on all of our jobs, but we have our own eye, and, and a lot of times we can step in. Uh, do the do the site work there, and if you do bump into an obstacle an unknown, you know we treat it like a regular GMP. You know we're working to save money on both sides. We don't want it to be an exposure to the owner as well right. as an exposure to us. So, if if you had a sub in that scenario, you have a little less control. You know what I mean? where well, that sub, he's trying to probably, you know, make as much money as he can on that on that change, right? And it's a mm-hmm. little bit tougher to manage. But we whether we self perform the site or don't self perform the site. We have in our civil engineers that will tee that job up I think better than a lot of our competition mm-hmm. on the civil risk mm-hmm. on the site risk you know what I mean yep. and I, I, I know a lot of our competition doesn't have that capability so this uh, you know I think from our perspective less change orders on the site side of our jobs and I think on the building side as well <laughs> right. um, but I think that would be one thing that's different than our competition then once you if, if it is a job that where where we would self-perform the site it, you even have that much more coverage uh and managing the risk you know what i mean or yeah. unknowns you yeah. know what i mean
0: i guess sort of coming to the near the end of the conversation here um is there anything you know i guess is there anything that we didn't ask you that you uh, we should have asked you you think you did <laughs> <laughs> <what I'm saying? laughs> get me out of here! You yeah. got a... no, uh, sorry. We'll, t- well, 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 to wrap up then. What's uh, now that we're up in Boston? You live down the Cape, right? So awesome. Yeah. We've we've a similarity in loving Falmouth, I think. So, but uh, what do what you uh, now that you're up here in Boston today? What do you like? Uh, what, what, what do you like to do in Boston while you're here?
1: I'm going to have a few beers with my friend. Here we, there we go.
0: All right, <laughs> nice. I mean, I know it's PT, and I did not get the invite. I'm kidding. No, but uh, Pat, beers, it was uh, yeah, beers and kids hockey. I mean, yeah, beers and exactly kids exactly. hockey—my right <laughs> <in> wheelhouse. <laughs> no, Pat, it was really a fantastic conversation. Appreciated, very insightful, um, and uh, obviously, you guys have a fantastic reputation in the market, and we're uh, hopefully can find a lot of ways to work together going forward as well in, in the future. But thanks for yeah. thanks yeah. for being here, thanks a lot for coming, Pat. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Thanks. And stay tuned for the next episode of Empowered Returns thank you for listening to another episode of empowered returns if you're a forward-thinking real estate investor or developer looking for actionable advice that will help you generate market beating returns make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcast fix i'm mike DeMello with charles gate and i'd love to connect on linkedin and further the conversation for any specific questions you may have thank you for listening